Hello, hello. On weekends, we do some long-form interviews that I've done in other podcasts in case you want to catch up on what I've been doing. Um, it, this is one feed where you can search and find everything. And one of my more interesting excursions or, or uh, conferences last year was uh, InfoShare Poland. It was the first time I was ever in Poland. Uh, I was uh, flown internationally for the talk. It was a very interesting like mixed language uh, conference where um, it was both English and Polish. And I got to stay a little bit um, and see uh, the city, which uh, I, I was just very impressed. Like there was just a lot happening at night, uh, a lot of young people having a good time and also a lot of interest in tech. And I thought this interview was surprisingly good. Um, I didn't have a high expectation going in, but uh, my interviewer was extremely well prepared and talked about a bunch of things, um, a bunch of things I've written about, including the uh, smart client versus smart server stuff, um, why I think data engineering is interesting. Um, temporal, uh, product versus platform, and uh, I think ultimately the theme that we landed on was techno-optimism, and I think that's something that sometimes is lacking among people who are very worn down by current affairs or the negatives of tech. So, have a listen. Hello everyone, welcome to Just Join IT channel where we meet to share some ideas, news, and discuss hot topics with people from around the world focused on IT. And this is the second live session related to InfoShare conference, which will happen this, this year in two weeks. And today we have a special guest. Uh, say hi to Sean Wong uh, called Swix, right? Is it correct? Yes, uh, that's my uh, English and Chinese initials. So also my online identity. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the genesis of, of, of the of your nickname, but yeah, this is uh, this is cool. Uh, it's just my initials. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't didn't expect that, but uh, yeah, uh, just a brief introduction for everyone. Um, you will be uh, here at the conference, and you will be talking about uh, epic client-server battle uh, of our time. This is like very very nice title. Uh, can you give us a glimpse of um, what we can find during your, your presentation? Sure. So <clears throat> as a front-end or full-stack web developer, I find that a lot of the innovation in what we're trying to do in pushing the boundaries is to try to move rendering to the front-end with single-page apps or move rendering to the back-end with uh, server-side rendering. Um, those techniques have existed for many, many years, but really what has been uh, source of a lot of debate is where the rendering happens and where the data lives. Because ultimately, the best user experience comes from a mix of performance and from uh, other smaller things like offline first capabilities, right? So if you want to design an uh, application that is offline first, that uh, has optimistic updates. So when you update, when you when you do an entry, you have an instant response instead of waiting for your data to go to the server and come back. Uh, then you need a local clone of your database on on your device, and that is the smart client approach. But other people have been working on alternative approaches. It's the smart server approach, which is don't do anything on the client, send all your data directly to the server and re-render on the server and then send the new HTML back. Uh, so that's uh, Phoenix Live View, uh, React Server components, all the new stuff that is uh, that people are very excited about. Uh, so basically, I wrote a blog post discussing 
the differences between these things. And uh, I think these are this is a really good paradigm to think about the kind of architecture that you need for your next uh, projects or your next application, uh, because these are two sides of a spectrum and you have to choose. There's no in-between. Yeah, and so no in-between and basically no uh, silver bullet that will solve all the problems, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. annoyingly enough. <laughs> I would say I, I really like uh, basically the TLDR. I'll give you the talk so you don't have to come to my talk if you listen to this. Uh, but <laughs> TLDR will be smart clients if you have long-running applications. If you're living inside of the app, like Notion, if you're in Slack, you should have a smart client. Uh, if you're uh, just visiting uh, for a quick browse, uh, for example, like an e-commerce website like Amazon, then you should probably bias towards a smart server application. Um, but there's a lot of nuances in there. There's a lot of technologies to discuss uh, and a lot of different companies. I worked at a few of them, uh, for example, um, AWS Amplify that has a smart uh, client offering that you can use, um, which is really cool. Um, you know, now you're getting things like Figma getting acquired for $20 billion to build Figma as a smart client application, right? That, that you can have collaboration and, uh, you know, you're basically just downloading a very big, piece of software every every time you hit you go to figma.com um, and that's a that's a really cool paradigm to see but it's not right for every application yeah that, that, that's true uh, I also think that uh, this will be very uh, interesting topic for our community since like we are focused mostly around Polish community here uh, but uh, we have that uh, series we record every two weeks and we share all the news related to front-end development uh, mostly uh, do you feel like you are front-end developer or more a full-stack developer or back-end developer? Where are you on the spectrum? I think front-end and back-end are outdated terms. I don't like describing in those terms. I think people these days, especially in US startups, have migrated towards product versus platform developer. So if you're a product developer, you are capable of developing a feature all the way from back-end to front-end, right? Uh, because it's stupid to have a front-end team that is, how, how often have you been blocked by back-end, right, as a front-end developer? It's, oh. so, it's so silly to, to yeah, to, to, to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we have the components ready, but, you know, the API is not ready. Um, that, is the, that is very slow, uh, and I, I, I experienced it in my previous engineering jobs, and I realized that a lot of companies are realizing that this is not the way to have silos between companies. You, you want to have full-stack teams. Where you have a front-end person, you have a back-end person, or the or the single person can take the, the feature delivery from front-end to back-end. Because guess what? Creating back-ends is also a lot easier with serverless functions, with uh, software as a service, platforms as a service, that kind of stuff. Um, so you can do the full full feature delivery as a product developer. What the difference is between product and platform developer is Platform is where you start dealing with Kubernetes and all the uh, scalability issues and the reliability issues that product developers don't really want to focus on. Product developers want to build on top of the platform, but you want to ship features. You don't want to ship vague things like scalability. You don't want to be an SRE. Um, you don't want to, uh, you might have to do a bit of migrations, but you don't want to be a DBA, right? Uh, you don't want to worry about like, uh, indexing and monitoring and all that. Uh, you should you should just be shipping features because that that is uh, what is ultimately your your, your user is going to experience. So I, I instead of front end versus back end, I like to talk about product versus platform. Um, I am primarily a product developer, but I have been dabbling a little bit in platform. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, 
I was uh, thinking about uh, mixing this a little bit with uh, one of the projects that you were involved, you are involved in, uh, which is called Temporal, because this is something, yes. as far as I understand, this is something that actually improves and simplifies the the backend part and like the the stuff that is not very mm, common for frontend developers. It makes it really easy. Or can you can you point me point me in the right direction to let me better understand what Temporal is actually? Yeah, um, Temporal is a workflow engine, and most people have not come across workflow engines, but you have written poorly implemented versions of them. A workflow engine takes a task and uh, pr proceeds it through a series of steps. Uh, whether, and for Temporal, it's defined in uh, code. In other systems like AWS Simple Workflow or Apache Airflow, it would be defined as a DAG, a direct, directed acyclic graph. Uh, you can draw it in JSON, there's a lot of boxes and arrows that you can click. Basically, just saying if this happens, then that, then then you fan out to this other thing. Wait for all of them to finish, then you proceed to the next thing. Anything that's a long-running process that you have multiple steps, uh, you benefit from putting inside of a workflow engine. Uh, what is the alternative to a workflow engine? It would be setting up a bunch of cron jobs that scan a database uh, for state changes. And when the state changes, you know, you pick it up, but at the next cron run and then you proceed to the next uh, state in, in mind. Uh, and so uh, that is very hard to uh, version and, and audit and debug. So if you move all that kind of code into a single workflow engine like Temporal, uh, then you would be able to uh, test it. Uh, you know, you'll be able to skip time and, and, and test it and version and migrate uh, uh, you know, all these kinds of workflow uh, because it's long running asynchronous code. You, it checkpoints, uh, you know, you have to basically you have to run code and checkpoint it. So, another another name for it is durable functions, right? If you imagine if you could run your functions, and if you want to sleep for, uh, let's say, uh, two days, and then wake up again and do something else, that sleep should not be persisted in memory. It should be persisted to database, and it should be it should not consume resources while it's sleeping. It should it should wind down and it should resume and recover. Uh, and it should also be massively horizontally scalable, right? So if you have a spike of a million of these requests, you should be able to farm it out to a fleet of workers all at the same time with the same exact code. And that's essentially what a workflow engine is. So uh, uh, this technology was developed at Uber where it actually runs uh, 300 case, use cases at Uber from Uber marketing to Uber delivery. Um, my favorite example is Uber Eats, right? One function can model the entire workflow from matching the restaurant and the order, and then matching the restaurant and the driver, getting, getting the pickup, getting the drop off, uh, tipping, you know, uh, payments, uh, receipts, uh, reviews, all that stuff. That is a one very long running workflow uh, that you can model as a single function instead of a series of 100 different small little functions all over the place. It's, it's very messy, very hard to maintain. So anything that's long running like that, anything that uh, involves a transaction uh, where you need to roll back if one part, one, one part of the transaction fails, um, there's a lot of different small little use cases like that that you can explore. Um, and so I think I'm not so concerned about temporal as a, as a technology. I'm concerned that people don't understand workflow engines in general. So uh, I like to tell people about that so that they can explore the space. Uh, it's a capability that you don't know you don't have until you learn about it. Yeah, it's like uh, the same story with most of the abstractions that uh, people are talking about, but actually uh, don't know where to use it. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the project. And um, is, how is it corrected? Uh, co sorry, how is it connected with your work at Airbyte? Like, is it your internal product or? Um... 
Yeah, no uh, so I used to work at Temporal. Temporal is a company and an open source project. Uh, I used to work there, and then I recently moved from Temporal to Airbyte. Uh, basically, Airbyte uh, is uh, so there are a bunch of companies that are building on top of Temporal. Uh, Temporal is one of the fastest growing companies I've ever been a part of. The only company that was growing faster than Temporal was Airbyte. So when I saw their uh, the growth metrics, I was like, okay, wow, this is super interesting. And they gave me a very good offer, so I, I, you know, I jumped ship. Um, uh, so, temp so Airbyte is a data uh, ETL company, right? Uh, you have a bunch of data sources um, in, in all over your company. You know, the average company has 100 different SaaS services. Uh, all of them are siloed databases. If you want to do analysis across all of them, uh, you have to extract it into a data warehouse. So Airbyte is an uh, open source project of connectors that connects to the largest community of open source uh, connectors uh, available and then syncs them across into your data warehouse at uh, understood intervals with uh, monitoring retries on that logic. And it, it is, it, the scheduler is temporal. So uh, the, it's, it's basically, a, you know, I, I went up one level of abstraction in terms of, uh, of, uh, of, of the use case, but then applied to the data engineering field, which is another thing that traditional web developers have not really come across that much. If you're not in the data world, you don't know about it. If you are in the data world, you're completely overwhelmed by the number of tools because there's so much money to be made. You know, Snowflake with $100 billion, Databricks with $60 something billion. Like, there's just, there's just a lot of uh, different, uh, there's a lot of money flowing in, into this field. And it's surprising how late you learn about it only at big companies. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Like I remember there was one talk uh, titled, I, it, it was given by Kitsa uh, uh, or, or something like, someone like that uh, related, not... not Kitsa uh, gives very good talks. Yeah, uh, you are not Facebook or was it called like that? So uh, Yes, you, most companies are not Facebook. Yeah. Um, Correct. But they're, they're, at the same time, you want to make money by serving big companies you know what i mean like yeah. not facebook size but fortune 500 that is if you are running a company if you're running a consultancy if you're working uh, in a company you want to solve big problems because big problems have big money uh and, and if you only solve small problems that like hobbyists you know side project type of things there's no money um so yeah it sounds like, <laughs> like, a good like it's not zero it's not zero money right but it's it's less less money that sounds like a good advice for developers in general. And uh, basically, I want to go towards the topic of the book that you published recently, uh, Coding Career Handbook for Junior to Senior Developers. What inspired you to write it and uh, what can we find inside? I, I definitely want to get my hands on the book and read it because uh, I, I, I t tend to train people a lot and uh, a lot of people come to me to adv for advices. I will just direct them to the book. So read it. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, what got me to write it? So I, I wanted, I decided to write a book. I wanted to make some side projects uh, that actually was for money and not for free. So I wanted to make money online for the first time. And I decided to put a poll. I said, I can, I can write a book on a number of these things. Uh, can you help me choose? And the first choice was actually the most popular one, which I, I, I knew I understood, which is the React and TypeScript book. Um, I had been running the React TypeScript cheat sheet. Uh, there's 30,000 GitHub stars on that cheat sheet. I know that people know me for React and TypeScript, and uh, I would probably have a validated audience that I can just reach out to and say like, hey, I have now turned this thing into a book. Please buy it. And if you benefited from it, uh, please throw some money my way. Um, but 
the second most popular choice on that poll was uh, career advice uh, because I had had a very good career. People, you know, like what I do and, and want to think about and, and learn from my secrets. Uh, and a lot of people wrote in, even though they the, it didn't win the poll, they, they wrote in and saying, "I know, I know, I know the first one is going to win, but you know, please can you write the second book?" So um, I really like that. Uh, I, I like the when people are motivated enough to write instead of just vote. Um, uh, they they're they're really expressing some strong preference that they they will pay money for for this, uh, so I ended up choosing that instead of the the technical book and then went uh, deep in uh, for two months writing it basically covering all of the advice that I've heard for myself uh, from other people my my own mentors and and from Hacker News, um, so one of my friends uh, when he read the book he said uh, this is basically Hacker News the good parts, it's like <laughs> what if you read everything and just com- compiled it so that it's uh, approachable. You can read from start to finish, and you have been initiated into uh, what most developers should know after they get their first job. You know, the very much. I think there's a lot of focus on people getting jobs, uh, interview practice, uh, algorithms practice. Uh, you know, your roadmap to becoming a web developer. Getting that first job is great, but I think people are very underserved after the first job, going to their next job, going to senior and building a career that's going to last them for a long time. Um, and so I really focus on that. I focus on the algorithm of growth. Um, why is it that we only judge developers by years of experience? Is because we don't have any other algorithm of growing. Um, so how can we change the slope of your progress? That's a great mission. Uh, actually, it, it relates very well with uh, recent um, research uh, regarding the burnout factor uh, inside of IT world. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, facing the challenges of coping with uh, um, like pressure um, challenges related to remote work etc like do you f- uh, do you agree with that like do you find some signals uh, from your communities that like people don't know how to progress in in the career and can you share something related to that uh for remote work or just in in general in general, uh, in general the topic of burnout like uh, i remember one of your presentations uh, focused on uh, uh, operating system. The operating of- system of you. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, this is hard to talk about because developers like to pretend they're machines uh, and guys don't like to talk about their feelings. It is embarrassing to say that you cannot deliver 24-7, uh, you know, and, and be, be a machine, you know. Um, but I see that when you don't tend to the human and emotional needs of yourself, uh, you will burn out uh, and and lose interest in coding, lose the ability to code, lose lose the lose the uh, lose interest in just life in general, uh, and it's really sad, you know. Like you have the ability to contribute so much value to the world, but because you didn't slow down, take care of yourself, didn't didn't uh, find it okay to talk about your feelings and uh, to take some time for yourself, uh, that you burned out. So. Uh, I, I always call this the operating system of you. So the, the, the basic thesis is, it doesn't matter if you like, do, like or don't like my advice. Let's just say there's a perfect book of advice that I can give to you. Do you have the ability to take that advice and improve your life? And if the answer is no, it's probably because you don't have a way, a system of implementing that and incorporating it into your life such, such that you have balance and you have longevity. Uh, because ultimately, you know, I, I looked at John Carmack, I look at Bill Gates, um, you know, some of the biggest names in the field. The only like 
Bill Gates is like the, the number one thing that I wish I did better when I was, you know, younger is I wish I slept more. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, Scott Hanselman, who's been, who's uh, basically like, you know, head of, uh, uh, you know, market developer relations for, for Microsoft. He's like, take care of your hands. That, that is my advice. <laughs> it's not about coding. It is not about uh, integration testing or types or programming languages, or whatever. Just take care of yourself because if you want to be like the number one thing in this this game, if you want to win the game, you have to stay in the game. Number one way to stay in the game is to take care of yourself because uh, if you, uh, it doesn't matter if you like don't get to senior level in five years or whatever. Uh, how do you stay in this game for ten years, twenty years, thirty years, forty years? Right? Um, there are there are all these uh, some of the top voted hacker news posts. Uh, these these guys on on at Google who are like yeah I, I you know I worked really hard I I I met like L six at Google I'm making like you know ridiculous amounts of money but I hate my job I hate my life that is so sad you you know that you can do better than that uh, and you deserve better than that so uh, I always talk about uh, the operating system of you so that's why it's the last chapter of my book uh, that's why I've done a, a few talks about it because is I think it's important for a guy. To talk about it because uh, you know it's uh, a lot of women talk talk about it, but maybe it's not so relatable to guys. Um, and then it's also it's also important for for people to understand like it's not always about code, uh, even though yes, the code stuff is important and very fun. I think that after this introduction, you can expect a lot of interesting discussions uh, in the couloirs in the on the conference. I mean, uh, do you do you plan <laughs> to to stay uh, like uh, for the after parties, or will you be, will you be available during the before party before the conference, or are you just going here and then running before party? Explain? Yes, uh, I have. So I'm going to I'm going to company retreat in Mexico right after the the conference. Uh, so the, the you know your team has kindly helped me book the flight for that, but I don't know when I leave. Uh, I hope when is the conference end? Conference what is uh, seven, uh, six and seven October. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I hope I didn't make a mistake. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay, so so yeah, it's ends on a Friday. So yes, I'll I'll be around on the Friday night. Um, yeah, it's just like when I'm flying halfway around the world for for this, like I have to factor in travel time, and uh, that can be that can be annoying. Yeah, but, I can um, imagine your schedule is really busy. Like um, I, I had like. How was it during the pandemic? Actually, I know that this is this is question probably that uh, conference guys are getting a lot. But uh, how did you survive during the pandemic and no flight policy? Or I oh, it was great because you you don't no there's no conferences right, so you're just at home, <laughs> you're spending time with your family. Uh, I I made the most money I ever made during the pandemic, and I think I was the healthiest because I I was just went for a lot of runs and, and I wasn't traveling at, at all. So, uh, you know, obviously the pandemic was terrible for most people, but uh, I, I was, I was, was fine. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe it's hard to, hard to, uh, you know, do meetings and, and go out on dates and stuff like that. Uh, so, so um, I, I had no problems. I, I think, I think uh, I had been working for about four years remotely before the pandemic. So I had no adjustment issues, but I, yeah, I know a lot of people went through a lot of difficulty there. So I don't want to make light of uh of that yeah that, that that's true um uh yeah related to that i had a question in mind but i now, now i forgot it um yeah related to the um, career advices and basically your attendance in the con on the conferences and the participation in the community you you 
you're involved in like two or three communities if i if i'm right uh, or even <laughs> it's hard to count always like the communities are make like mix and uh, connected you yeah know, they like, overlap a lot uh, i'll say my my main yeah. uh, oh yeah what's the question yeah the question is uh, basically related to all your conference talks uh, when you give a talk people approach you after the talk usually so do you remember some interesting questions you get after the talk or something that surprised you uh, or maybe there is some talk that you are especially proud of. Uh, <clears throat> I, I have a, I have one talk that is, I know I know it's my best talk, and it may be the best talk that I may ever give. Um, and so that is the um, the JSConf Asia 2018 talk, uh, getting closure on hooks. It is where I start with an empty screen and I write a clone of React in 30 minutes. And I have something displaying on the screen at the end. Um, and and people have constantly, they, they're still talking about me today. When they first meet me, they will say, I know you from that talk. And and that is uh, that is one of the most impressive talks I've uh, that, that I've done. So uh, I, I may not ever give a better talk than that. So if you want, if you want to see. I believe see, I watched uh, it. I, I, I watch a lot of stuff, but uh, yeah, the title definitely uh, <laughs> sticks. And yeah, I, 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 I like the feeling when people uh, see like, Okay, you just uncovered all the magic for me. I now I understand what I'm working with for like last yeah, three years. Yeah. So Th that is that is the that is why a talk is worthwhile. I think there's a lot of talks that are not worth your time because you don't remember them. Yeah. Like the, the next day, the best talks give you some insight that you can that have reframed everything that you thought you knew, and and give you a framework to think about. Uh, you know, new insights, or it's like a new launch of a new product project that has just that's going to change the way that you that you think about how you do things. That is really worth your while. Obviously, it's very hard to do uh, every single day, but uh, you know, there are a few talks that that change your life, and uh, I, I really hope to try to do more of those talks instead of normal, you know, uh, forgettable talks. It's very hard to identify. I, I don't I don't think I have mastered it, but I'm trying to do it because. What's the point of giving talks if you, if you don't try? Yeah, I also, uh, I remember I liked the talk you gave uh, titled The Third Age of JavaScript. You get that little chart with colors yeah, showing what happened over the time. And yeah, if you work in this in the, in, the, uh, in IT for a long time, you basically don't notice that. So that was a really nice yes. uh, overview of what's happening. Do you, uh, is this a common knowledge in Poland about boiling the frog? Is this a, is this an analogy understood? Yes, yes. People will know what uh, what it means. <clears throat> exactly. So, so I think in tech, when when time passes and you know you see all these announcements on a day to day basis, we we are slow. We are the frogs in the water, slowly getting boiled. <clears throat> but we we very often don't really step out of the pot and and take a look at what is happening over the past two, three years, five years, ten years, twenty, thirty years. Um, and when you see that long run trend, it really changes your mind about what to bet on and what is going like it, it, be, it becomes exciting. You're a part of a, you're part of history. You're part of something that is evolving and not static. Um, and I try to be optimistic. I think there's a lot of senior developers who have seen pendulum swinging back and forth and back and forth. And you're like, oh my God, like another framework, like who cares? You know, I'm just going to use my old thing and that is fine. But you should understand that we always are trying to improve the way that we work and we will have, we will fail a lot, but the ones that succeed will change software forever. 
Uh, yeah, my, one of my favorite facts is is Git, like you know Git from like from Linus Torvalds. It's 15 years old. There was a time before Git, and <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, time before Git. I I need to st steal this this quote. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and you know the, the old school people would be like, yeah, SVN is better. Like Mercurial is better. I I don't care. Like. Whatever it was, Git like was simple enough and changed software forever. And there is there's things happening right now that is being launched at this conference, launched at other conferences and talks that will change software forever. You just don't know it yet. Yeah, I think I will use the occasion and actually ask you about your perspective on on the React ecosystem. Like, uh, there is a lot of people listening oh to us right now, uh, <laughs> thinking, but basically working with React on a daily basis, and. You have a lot of perspective because I, I've seen your talk relating the um, the new uh, JavaScript runtimes. Uh, that was one of the first talks related to that because it was like, okay, it is yeah, one month first, old. Uh, and yeah. 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 So what do you think about React ecosystem right now? Like, are we fine or are we going getting worse? Oh, wow. That's a leading question. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so I don't know if you noticed. Uh, so people who have watched my stuff for a while, uh, I stopped giving React specific talks about two years ago, because uh, I think Re React is boring. And I think that's a good thing. Um, and this is something I've said before, so I don't think it would be super controversial. Because React has 3 million users, 3 million developers, it cannot rock the boat. The primary thing that React ships is stability, right? What happened between React 16 and 18 is React 17. Why is no one talking about React 17? Because it was a very boring change. And that boringness was a feat of engineering. It was, it was a, you know, it got rid of a, a lot of things. It changed a bunch of stuff under the hood. But most people completely not aware of it, and that's fine. That 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 is, React's main job is to not rock the boat because it's, it's going to make a lot of people upset. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I think it's 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 definitely like you know captured by by its own popularity and, and unable to. Uh, uh, to experiment without a lot of people having a say, and you know, I think that that, that can be a bit frustrating sometimes. Um, as we are speaking, uh, some uh, the, uh, a lot of people have been concerned with uh, uh, React hooks, particularly use effect, which is uh, the, the most uh, the side effect hook. That the it's kind of like you know we have this perfect system. If you sweep all the complexity under one rug, and the rug was use of use effect. Uh, and people are like, okay, okay, fine, fine. This 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 hook system is great. We'll, we'll move the the whole ecosystem over to it. But then now people are complaining about uh, use effects. Like we we knew about this four years ago. It's still a problem now. So in April, the React team announced uh, a fix for it called Use Event. Uh, and yesterday they killed it. So it's a lot of whiplash. A lot of like, oh, I oh, didn't know that. Here now and then, yeah, yeah, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> we're moving here now and then they, okay okay like there's a new problem here okay here's the fix and then uh, oh no the, the fix is wrong uh and this has happened three four times in, in react history um so like it, it is a lot of churn but like look that, that's what happens that's how you have to move in uh, one of the biggest open source projects of all time uh you have to move this forward in some way and and, and there is a small team of like five people that's doing this so uh <laughs> it's, it's uh it's really um it's really amazing and i wouldn't do it <laughs> you couldn't pay me enough to do it. Uh, I, I think it'd be interesting that you know they, they're hiring the uh, one. Uh, I, I love to call uh, so there's a there's the there's a job called the manager of the React team. Right? It, it seems like a very prestigious job. It seems like uh, people would love to do it. 
but I call it the defense of, against the dark arts job. So if you read Harry Potter, every single year there's a new defense against the dark arts teacher because uh, it's cursed. It's uh, uh, everything. Every year there's something wrong with it. Uh, so every year there's a new React uh, team manager because it is a horribly difficult and impossible job to do. Um, okay, one last thing about about this. Uh, uh, a lot of people would choose. React because of the React ecosystem. And I think that is correct. Uh, I think it's in a really good place. Next.js and Vercel have essentially acquired React from Facebook. Uh, because a, a lot of people were like, I don't want to use React because of Facebook. Like it, it's slowly moving over in terms of power to uh, Vercel. Uh, it's becoming a multi-company product and, and open source project. And that is a good thing for React. Uh, because now React will finally take on all the problems that React is typically not face like bundling, uh, like server-side rendering. Uh, you know, typically, like in, in the past, React only had like three APIs for server-side rendering. It was not well-supported. Didn't have a strategy for smooth loading of data. A lot of problems. Um, and now Next.js is essentially the meta framework that will make React production ready. And uh, what they call it is building the SDK for the web. Uh, and I truly believe like that is the best outcome for React. Uh, and so because React is so well served by Vercel. It's actually a really good bet to bet on for production use cases. Uh, and then also, of course, the ecosystem, right? If you want uh, accessible components, you have Chakra UI, you have React uh, Aria, you have, you have a bunch of these like uh, smaller projects that, uh, you know, that you want uh, to, to work with. I think that's really good. Uh, where React's ecosystem comes into the problem with um, is when you have to wrap every single tool out there into a React dash whatever wrapper, like React-D3, React-I don't know, like uh, X-State, whatever, just because, just to fit it inside of React's functional paradigm. And that's where, you know, I've been exploring Svelte, uh, other people have been exploring SolidJS, Vue.js, um, for a different take on this situation where it just, it, it needs to work nicer with HTML and JavaScript because those are the things that will last. Um, you know, there'll be a day when, React goes away as well. And the things that are last will be web standards. Um, so you want to stick as close to web standards as possible. And I think uh, the new crop of frameworks are basically experimenting and exploring how to do that while offering the, the same developer experience that React has. So that's my long spiel. That, that, that was perfect, Ansler. Uh, yeah, I, I believe uh, after, after this uh, talk, people definitely will recognize you here in Poland. Uh, so. If someone never heard about uh, Swix, uh, please come to the conference, uh, attend the talk, and uh, ask some uh, smart questions after after that. Uh, this will be your first time in Poland, right? Yeah, I'm excited about it. I've, any expectations? I've heard a lot from, uh, any expectations? Uh, uh, I, I, I I don't know actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I I've never uh, been. Is is Marie Curie Polish? Uh, yes, uh, the, the, <laughs> there are controversies about that, but yeah, we believe she's Polish. <laughs> yeah, so like I just I just like a lot have a lot of I know a lot of smart people from Poland. That's the only thing that I know, and, and obviously a lot of uh, good developers as well. Uh, but I've never been. I don't even know what the landmarks are. Uh, yeah, I, I, I okay. know about Warsaw, but that's, that's about it. <laughs> if you, if you, uh, watch our talk from yesterday, I, I was talking with Kent Dots, uh, related. Also, I asked about the first visit in Poland. He will be here first time also. And, uh, yeah, definitely one advice, pack warm clothes because the, the weather here yeah. can be, can be really surprising. And apart yeah. from that, Gdańsk is a really good place uh, to be and, uh, 
yeah, there is a lot of cool stuff to do. And uh, yeah, just come here and you will be guided. Uh, and we are really nice. <laughs> The, the the main thing I'm surprised by is how native, how strong of an English, uh, like po I think Polish people have better English than French. <laughs> yeah, I can agree. Do, do you learn I know French. I know French. I also know French. So so yeah, uh, yeah. I, I know the difference and I know uh, how hard it is to talk uh, in English with French people. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you learn English at a very early age? Yes, we learn English from from uh, from the very beginning, I believe, uh, primary school, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, that's how it is so here. I have a fun, so... Yeah, I have a fun story about that. Uh, so Singapore, you know, I I come from Singapore. I don't come from the U.S. Um, out of all the Southeast Asian countries, Singapore intentionally decided to make everybody learn English and speak it as a first language, and it's so strong that my Chinese sucks. <laughs> I am English first. <laughs> You know, uh, and and that was a conscious decision made 40, 50 years ago that changed the whole country's economic prosperity. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, I, I think the same thing for Poland versus the other Eastern European countries. You know, um, if if you don't have a good command of English, there's just as part of the economy you will not participate in. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, so yeah, you can expect that you can talk with a lot of people uh, during the after parties <laughs> or before good. parties, even between the talks. So uh, yeah, we are we are getting yeah we are getting uh, on time with with the finish of this of this session. So thank you very much for all the insights, all the advices. Uh, I hope pe people will uh, go and buy your book once once is it, is it published already or? Yes, it's published. It's at learninpublic.org, um, and uh, you can. Uh, ask me for a coupon code if you if you need uh, uh, purchasing parity. Uh, just just DM me, or you can you can buy it off the shelf. Uh, it, uh, a lot of companies expense it, and uh, you know I do offer packages for uh, companies and teams. Yeah, I will definitely. We can talk about it later. So yeah, thank you very much once again, and see you in in one week actually, one week or so, one week and one day. Yeah, one week. Yeah. yeah. Good luck and yeah, uh, take care. Bye.